James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by an action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. May our faith be visible through our works so that those around us may see your light shining brightly through our lives. Let our actions be a testimony to your goodness and a reflection of your love. Good morning, Faith Westwood. You know, in uh, previous settings, I'm so used to saying, God is great, and the response is all the time and all the time, God is great. Should we try that? God is great. All the time, God is great. So welcome to those who are worshiping on site as well as those who are worshiping online with us this day. Now, we are exploring this and that this summer, our sermon series, that's on the letter of James to the early Christian church. Thus far, we've explored trials and temptations, listening and doing. And last week, we were focused on speaking and acting, remembering that the Christian church is meant to be a place that lives out the greatest commandment and demonstrates God's compassion and mercy in tangible and relevant ways. This weekend, we're going to turn toward the spiritual debate of faith and deeds. For generations, Christians have wrestled with what saves us, our faith or our deeds. Or is it a combination of both? You are invited to follow along as we dig into God's word today. The page number for our Pew Bibles is listed on the screen. And you are always welcome to bring your own personal Bible or you may use a, a, a Bible app that is on your mobile devices. Would you please join me in prayer? 
Almighty God, open our ears that we may hear your word, open our eyes that we may see your glory in our midst, and open our hearts that we might know your spirit's presence with us in these moments. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Soul nudges and heart tingles. That's what a woman described when she was shopping in a secondhand or thrift store. And she said it was a really hot day like the days we had this past week. And she was about six people deep in line. And one of the things that this customer noticed is that the cashier was having a bad day. A really bad day. It just seemed that with every customer, the cashier just seemed to get angrier and angrier. And she, the, this woman was trying to make sense of it. She said that when she finally was up, uh, her, it was her turn to check out, she said she had an unmarked item. And that set the cashier over the edge. The woman said in those moments she was trying to grasp onto anything to, to bring some light and, and some love to this woman's life. And she said that all of a sudden she felt her heart tingle. She felt that soul nudge and she and Jesus were bargaining about some money that was in the back side of her wallet. She felt that nudge that she should somehow share a gift with this woman to bring some joy into her life. But the woman was struggling with that. She was arguing with God in her head about what she should do. And then God didn't budge. That heart tingle, soul nudge didn't go away. So she paid her bill, and as she was paying her bill, she found that backside of the wallet. She grabbed the money, and as the woman handed her her receipt, she handed this woman the money. The woman, who was so angry, so frustrated, all of a sudden softened. And she just simply said, why? The customer said, soul nudge. And the woman shook her head, and she said, Today's my 75th birthday. Ain't nobody called me. Not my sister, not any of my children. She said, nobody that I work with here even knows that it's my birthday. She said, I feel so sad today. Ain't nobody remember it's my birthday. The customer felt that tingle again. She looked up and she pointed and she said, well, somebody remembered the customer said that, you know, she didn't see Jesus in that moment, but she knew that Jesus saw the cashier. Soon others around, other customers were starting to catch on to what was going on, and, and so pretty soon there was happy birthday here and a happy birthday there, and pretty soon a few people were like, we should sing, and they sang happy birthday to the cashier. As the customer watched, she said that she, the cashier just kept patting her chest just was in awe of what God had done in those moments. You know, that tingle became tangible. The soul nudge changed the course of two women's lives. The author said, and I quote, the human heart is our very best compass, and it rarely leads us astray. The story reminds us that God's Grace is at work in every believer showing faith by deeds. So faith in deeds. Faith versus deeds. 
This is truly one of the greatest debates in Christian history. But more specifically, it is about how is one saved? Is one saved merely by faith? Or is one saved through deeds? Or are both necessary for salvation? Jesus himself modeled faith and deeds and then demonstrated how both of those things together produce righteousness. The Apostle Paul wrote about this. James wrote about that. Christians still wrestle with this, and so pastors still preach that. Now, while I don't believe that we're going to clearly clear up the entire debate today, I do hope that we'll be able to shed some light on the wisdom that James shared centuries ago. Now, do you remember why this was such a debate for the early Christian believers? Well, it's was the Apostle Paul. We blame him about a lot of things, don't we? He's the one who spoke passionately about faith and deeds as he preached. We remember that so much of our theology really does come from Paul's writings. So there are so many theories about which was written first. Was it the letter of James or was it some of Paul's letters? To avoid another debate, we are going to assume that, that James was really written for his specific audience, the Christians that were under his care, but he also was very much aware of what Paul was writing, preaching, and teaching, including the following. Romans 3.28 says, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Romans 10.10 for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. Now John Wesley's commentary on James reveals that Paul and James were actually not contradicting one another. And yet, they came to this conversation from very different perspectives. For instance, they don't speak of the same faith. Paul speaks of a living faith, while James is warning against a dead faith. They do not speak of the same works and deeds. Paul speaks of works that precede faith. For James' works are subsequent to faith. Thus, James wrote what he wrote. And he's going to stick with it. And we are able to understand that he was addressing believers that were facing some very specific challenges to their faith. In essence, their faith was not lived out in actions or spoken in another way. Their actions did not reflect the depth of their faith. He wanted their faith to be real and authentic and able to inspire them to make a difference. Let's remember what faith is. Faith is belief in God. And for James, faith is also that deep trust in God's promises through Jesus Christ. For those Jewish Christians that James was addressing, they remembered that their Jewish faith in, was in Yahweh and in the Mosaic Law. And now they were Christian believers. Their faith was growing daily in living out the teachings of Jesus Christ. And their faith was also being tested every day, living out the teachings of Jesus Christ. Persecution was their middle name. 
And yet, they were willing to put this all on the line for Jesus. So as recorded in verse 14 of chapter 2 of James, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such faith save them? James was concerned about how these Christians were able to live out their faith in helpful and fruitful ways. For instance, James presents some real-life examples. What if a brother or sister in Christ is without clothes or without food? Is it enough to say, go in peace, keep warm, keep well-fed? Or should you actually do something to actually care for them? James says that it's no good to say something and not follow it up. This is faith without action. James says this faith is dead. Now James fully understands what he's up against. These Jewish Christians will argue with him. After all, their previous faith included checking off a list of laws of things to do and things not to do. James said, but someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. James wants to get to the heart of the matter, so he addresses the faith that they have known and that they still claim to their present day. Of course, they believe in one God. They knew the Shema, as recorded in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This law was essential to the Jewish faith. The commandments were to be impressed upon their children, discussed whether they were at home or whether they were walking along the road, whether they were lying down or whether they were getting up. God's people were to make reminders of this law and bind them to their hands or even on their foreheads. These laws were to be written on their houses, and even on their gates. Loving God was, with their whole being, was the foundation to their faith. Jesus emphasized this with the disciples and with the crowds, along with another, another statement that the Jewish Christians knew very well, love your neighbor as yourself. But James acknowledges that even the demons believe that God is one, and what do they do? They shudder. So James is concerned that these new Christian believers were simply giving lip service to their faith. So in essence, James says, so what if you believe in one God and love that God? So what if you just believe in one God and love that God? James can give even more evidence that faith without deeds is useless. The first example is Abraham. This would have brought to the hearers' minds when Abram was promised ancestors as numerous as the stars in the heaven and as numerous as the grains of sand on the ground, just like that Daytona Beach, right? 
But they would also be mindful of the fact that Abraham was tested. He was tested to take his beloved and his longed-for son Isaac to sacrifice him. Abraham didn't even begin to understand why God would ask him to do such a difficult thing. But he was prepared to put his faith into action. He was obedient to God, and another suitable sacrifice was provided. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Faith without works is not faith at all, but a simple lack of obedience to God. Abraham demonstrated his faith through his obedience to God. And this faith into action was deemed righteousness. James says that you see that Abraham's faith and his actions were working together. Working together just like peanut butter and jelly and peanut butter and chocolate and paper and pen. But in this, Abraham's faith was also made complete. In verse 24, we hear James saying, You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Then the second example that James gives is Rahab. Really, Rahab? Not many may consider this a a likely example of faith because she was a pagan with a very bad reputation, right? Rahab was living in the city of Jericho when the Israelites were on their way to the promised land. God's people were ready to cross the river Jordan. Jericho was their first invasion. So they sent spies. Remember this? They sent spies. Spies to go and and check out the situation. They were welcomed into that home of Rahab. And she protected them. Because she had come to believe in Israel's God as the one true God in heaven and earth. Rahab, a woman with a bad reputation, believed in Israel's God. And when Rahab put her faith into action, it was risky, and yet her family was spared when Jericho was invaded. Later, she seems to have married an Israelite because, amazingly enough, she becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David and thus a part of the family tree of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Abraham was father of the Jews. Rahab was a woman and a sinner of the Gentiles. This demonstrates that in every nation and gender, faith produces deeds And faith is perfected by those deeds. N.T. Wright says, and I quote, Translating belief into action when it seems impossible or downright dangerous, this is the faith that matters. This is the faith that justifies. Again, James was concerned that if Christians were merely listening to the word and not doing what it says, and if they were speaking and acting in ways that were not merciful, their faith was empty. It was as if they were living in a body without a spirit. What about you? What about you? What is the depth of your faith? Is your faith thriving and is it growing? Or is it lacking some nutrients and is it needing some weeding? And is your faith moving you into action? 
Are your deeds faith-filled and fruitful? Or are your deeds needing some oomph? The reality that we face today in the church is that you and I are trying to figure out how we can best love Jesus and this world. We want to grow in our faith and in spiritual maturity as well as we want to serve Jesus to the best of our abilities. We also want to meet the real felt needs in our community. And yet, sometimes we are just like those new believers in the first century church who struggle with that sense of navigating faith and deeds. For some, it may be really easy to work on your faith. Attending worship, studying the word of God, participating in a faith group, doing devotions. For others, it might be easier for you to work on your deeds, serving in the food pantry, making prayer shawls, sewing projects, sharing musical talents, serving on a church committee and team, or even going on a mission trip. This morning, wasn't it wonderful to get a little taste of what our youth experienced on those mission trips? Amen? It was wonderful to see them in action. It was wonderful to see their smiling faces. And I have to say, what a privilege it is to serve a church that supports these students and sponsors, allowing them that opportunity to put their faith into action. You know, when it comes to faith and deeds, I think that sometimes too often we pick and choose one over the other instead allowing them to work side by side. For instance, conversations that are inspired by faith and motivated by faith may sound like, let's join together and let's pray about this, right? And conversations that are motivated and inspired by deeds may sound like, let's do something and let's do it right now. So let me ask again the question I asked a few moments ago, but let me ask it differently. How are you motivated? How many of you think that you are inspired and motivated through faith? And how many of you think that you are mostly inspired and motivated by action, by deeds? You know, this and that are both necessary. Again, like peanut butter and jelly. And yet, there are sometimes there are things in our world that demand more than just our faith through our thoughts and prayers, right? As Christians, how do we thoughtfully and prayerfully address the important and difficult issues of our day? We educate ourselves. We ask questions. We dialogue and pray with one another. We may even share our gifts and time to make a difference. And why do we do this? First, the love of Jesus gives us those heart tingles that inspire us. Then the Holy Spirit gives us those soul nudges that motivate us. And sometimes I think they're not soul nudges. I think they're soul pushes and soul shoves. <laughs> but the question is, are we willing to feel and are we willing to listen? This past week, the Spirit laid human trafficking on my heart. 
Did you know that today, Sunday, July 30th, is World Day Against Trafficking in Persons? How many of you knew that? I'll admit, I think they need to work on their marketing. Because I had no idea about this until I started doing some research. Now, recently, human trafficking has been brought to light in the movie The Sound of Freedom. In the movie, Tim Ballard is quoted as saying, God's children are not for sale. In fact, this is a catchphrase in advertising the movie. Ballard has also stated, you can sell a bag of cocaine one time, but a child, the most precious child, you can sell a five-year-old kid five to ten times a day for ten years straight. How many of you are upset about that statement? How many of you are disturbed that that is a reality in our world? Now, the movie may be controversial for many reasons that we're not going to discuss here, but human trafficking, in my opinion, is one of the most pressing issues of our day. Of course, we are continuing to learn more about the who, the what, the where, the when, the why, and the how of this issue. Yet the rising statistics remind us that it warrants our attention. Human trafficking exists in every country, in cities, suburbs, and even in rural towns. Human trafficking victims can be any age, race, gender, or nationality. There are many forms of human trafficking, but all involve the exploitation of people. Victims may be engaged in legitimate or illegitimate labor industries, including sweatshops, massage parlors, agriculture, agriculture, restaurants, hotels, and domestic service. And human trafficking is often a hidden crime. Victims are afraid to come forward and get help. So what does this have to do with us being Christians? As Christians, we are called to recognize the sacred worth of every person. You and I can educate ourselves about human trafficking and what's happening right here in Omaha, Nebraska. We can learn to see the signs of human trafficking. We can pay attention differently when we are out shopping, noting children and youth that are around us. We can pay attention to our surroundings in parking lots and we can report any suspicious behaviors. We can advocate for programs that help to provide resources for those who are rescued from human trafficking rings because it's really hard for them to reacclimate. And we can even talk with our United Women in Faith in recognizing the ways that we can support and protect women and children. Certainly, human trafficking is burning on my mind, heart, and spirit right now. But what this and that issues are most pressing in your journey? Perhaps you are concerned about addictions, including alcoholism, drugs, and gambling. Perhaps you are concerned with domestic abuse. Perhaps you are concerned with affordable health care. Perhaps you are concerned with other social justice issues. This and that need attention. And while they certainly need our thoughts and our prayers, they most definitely need our faith and our deeds. They need our faith into action. 
Max Licato says that when it comes to faith and deeds, we can remember that we have been given the privilege to do for others what God does for us. So are we thinking about the issues that, that we are passionate about as well as the people that we're serving? Because if we are, we can do three things. The first thing we can do is show up. The second thing that we can do is listen up. And the third thing that we can do is speak up. Now that's some wise advice. Just like James was concerned about those early Christians and how they were living out their faith, these words of wisdom remind us that our faith must be inspired and motivated into action. Faithful, fruitful action that changes and transforms lives in the name of Jesus Christ. Again, the grace of God works in every believer, showing faith by deeds. May it be so. Amen. Okay, friends, friends on site and online, get comfortable where you are. Open your minds, hearts, and even your hands as we come together in prayer. Oh, gracious and almighty God, why was it such a debate? You remind us over and over again that faith and deeds go hand in hand, just like so many things that we love together. And God, as we live out our faith, it must be reflected through the things that we do and say through all of our deeds. But God, sometimes it's hard. It's hard for us to engage in the kind of action because it might demand our time and our energy and our money. It may demand that we step out of our comfort zones and try to address something that is hard and difficult and challenging. But Lord Jesus, you give us those heart tingles. You give us those soul nudges that push us toward faithful and fruitful action. God, as we leave here today, may we find one other person and, and may we tell them what is burning on our hearts. May we tell them that the issue that, that we're concerned about May we at least tell one other person so that those nudges aren't just lingering in this place today. Because, God, we know that you don't want us to hold all of those things right here in this sanctuary, in this worship center. You want us to go out into the world, a very broken world, and you want us to address the issues, but more importantly, you want us to address the needs of people. Because, God, you love all people. And you love us. So, God, inspire us to show up, to listen up, and to speak up where we are able. Help us to continue to claim the words of James and to let, it, let those words transform us from the inside out.
Thank you, God, for the privilege and opportunity that our young people had to go on their trips this summer, to learn and to grow. Thank you, God, for the ways that our church family members came alongside those this week that, that needed help in the heat, that were grieving and sorrowful, or just needed a smiling face. And God, just as we sang those beautiful words of prayer earlier, let us join together as we remember our family prayer, prayer taught by Jesus Christ to his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <laughs>